truly is an honor to be able to introduce Brother Burleson. We were able to go to Heritage Christian a few years ago and, and sat in one of his classes, a very uh, informative class that we were able to, to attend. Brother Burleson has uh, been at several congregations and preached uh, full-time at those uh, congregations and is probably better known as a... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Goofball. No, not goofball. That's not the word I'm looking for. That was his word, not mine. But um, he does uh, a lot of work with helping uh, families and, and being able to uh, talk to individuals. And, um, and he is now working at Amridge University in Montgomery. And so we look very uh, forward to... Uh, to this lesson this morning and also this afternoon. So without further ado, Brother Ted Burgess. Thank you so very, very much. It's great to see you. It's great to be back at Midway. We appreciate you so very, very much. Thank you for the wonderful songs. Uh, the singing was fantastic this morning. I was uplifted and edified because of the singing. Thank you, Cooper, for leading us in, in singing. Now, you may be thinking, by when you see the title of the lesson, how parents and grandparents cope with family members with addictions. Well, I'm not a parent or a grandparent, perhaps, but, you know, all of the things that we're going to talk about this morning could apply to anyone uh, who knows someone who is suffering with an addiction problem. Before I get started, I want to read something that's very, very personal to a friend of mine. One of our students at Heritage Christian University is Zach Langley. Some of you know Zach. He preaches at the Zion Church of Christ in Parrish, Alabama, and, uh, and writes some for the uh, Mountain Eagle, Daily Mountain Eagle. Uh, as when he was in one of my classes at Heritage, I uh, made a suggestion. I said, you know, 365 times in the Bible, we are told, do not fear. 365. That's one for every day. Now, if any of you have time to write a book on that, write it. I just don't have time to write it, but a, a good book would be 365 uh, times a year not to fear. Well, Zach has done that. He's waiting to get it published right now, but he has completed it. And uh, when he found out I was going to be speaking today, he asked me to read this. Uh, he has finished the book, and I have... June 28th, in my hand, his devotional message for that day. I want to read it. It's written in first person, but it's written by Zach Langley. Living the life I've lived, I've come across some truly evil people. I met a good bit of them in prison, the kind of people that seemed to have no empathy, the kind that had the ability to look right through you, I've also seen evil in the form of manipulation, where people could, with no regret, tell lies that are hurtful and crude just for personal gain. I have even seen that in myself, brought out from a drug-induced desperation. The worst evil I've ever seen in that form came from a couple that had a crack cocaine problem. They lost everything to the drug except a place to live. It was a rundown house in Southside Birmingham that a past relative had left them. This is where they ran their scam. 
The duo would invite another couple over, usually two young people that were new to the drug scene and still not uh, very hip to scams. After the two couples got high a while, the treachery would begin. Either the guy could not uh, claim he could not find his wallet, that was by far the most popular scam, or the girl would find, claim that she couldn't find her purse. What had really happened was that they had hidden those items before. They would then begin ranting something along the lines, I left it right there. It couldn't have just grown legs and walked off exclaiming that there was an amount of money in there, those items as well. Of course, it was a lie. The couple was doing this to get money when they were dead broke. This always led to a search of the house. The invited couple would become more and more afraid as every second passed that the items didn't show up. Why? Because as every second passed, it became more and more evident that they were suspects. This scam worked for years, people paying every dime they had on them just to be able to leave without a fight. It worked well until one day it didn't work so well. With the paranoia of a cocaine-caused psychosis kicking in and the adamant actions of the newly invited couple uh, sticking to the fact that they hadn't stolen anything, things got out of hand. The invited couple were murdered. I truly believe as the man stabbed the young couple to death, he had convinced himself that they had stolen his wife's purse, although he knew in his heart he had hid it earlier. It reminds me of this verse in the Bible from Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, Neither thou be envious against the workers of iniquity. For years, other couples envied this couple's scam. It was known on the street as the ultimate hustle. It was envied, like I said, until everything went incredibly wrong. Evil in most cases isn't born overnight. In the very beginning, these two murderers were probably a couple like any other and sin pulled them further and further down the rabbit hole. It reminds me of what Ernest Hemingway said, all things truly wicked start from an innocence. We must keep ourselves distant from all forms of evil as best we can. We have no idea how bad and how far it can take us until it's too late. God tells us not to fret evil. The best way to do that is to have nothing to do with it. Terrible, terrible story, but well written. I want us to talk about addiction today. And on these slides and the, and the handouts that you have, I put the footnotes in case you want to read further. Now I want you to know that I'm not just making these things up, that this comes from not only Bible study, but also research. I want us to start out by defining addiction. Addiction derives from the Latin word addicto, to give over, to surrender. If I am addicted to something, then I am given over to that. Now, addiction may produce different challenges to my motivation system. And look at some of the addictions. And this is just a small fragment of the addictions from which people suffer. Heroin, cocaine, alcohol, Gambling, inhalants, nicotine, and fattening foods. You might think, wait, those last two don't belong in the same list as heroin and cocaine, but 
those are also addictions. How do we know if we're addicted? Well, there are three ways. First of all, the presence of an escalation of behavior. Are we doing something more often that we're addicted to? Is this something becoming more and more prevalent in our lives? Are we, number two, are we having withdrawal symptoms in our life? And, and number four, three, feelings of dysphoria, dissatisfaction, arising from attempts to stop or reduce the behavior, but the more we stop, try to stop, the worse it becomes. I ask that Brother Johnson read that text from John 10:10. 10, 10, because I wanted to call your attention to that first part. The thief does not come except to steal and to kill and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Greg Delaney of the Jeremiah Tree in Dayton, Ohio, put addiction in biblical terms. He says the dope is the thief only who comes only to destroy and to kill. It will kill your identity, destroy your family, and finally kill you. Now notice this is opposite of what Jesus said. Instead of this dope, or you, can, you can place anything you like in where the word dope is. You can say drugs, you can say alcohol, you can say uh, gambling, you can say pornography. We're going to talk a lot, a lot of addictions in the next few moments. But I want you to notice the source there. Uh, some might be offended that that is from the U.S. Catholic Journal. Uh, I want to point out that addiction, uh, everyone struggles with addiction. A lot of the research that I do comes from Muslim journals because Muslims also suffer from addictions. Catholics suffer from addictions. Irish Americans suffer from addictions. Uh, all all people of all races, of all times, have suffered with addiction. This is not a new problem. Now let's talk about, for just a moment, about combating, combating an addiction. Uh, it, it involves basically four things. First of all, an increasing internal locus of control. Another way of saying that is taking control of your life back. If you've allowed the addiction to take over your life, you have to take control back. No one else is going to take that control back for you. No pill that you can take will take control back for you. You have to decide, I will take control of my life again. And be mad about it. Be adamant about it. For example, someone who is a compulsive, has obsessive compulsive disorder and washes their hands 50 or 60 times a day. You can spot them because their hands are raw, because they wash their hands so much. They're clean, but they have this obsession that they must always be clean to the point that their hands are raw because they've washed them so much. They have to decide, I'm going to take control of my life again, and, and I'm going to stop allowing the compulsion to control my life. Number two, we have to learn to take responsibility for our own decisions. Our lives are our decisions. It's not our mamas, it's not our daddies, it's not our grandparents. It's our decision. It's not our wife, it's not our girlfriend, it's not our boyfriends. It's our decision, and we have to decide that we're going to take it back. And we're going to have to increase our planning capacity. Someone with an addiction has a hard time planning tomorrow, much less what's going on next week. You ask someone who's struggling with an addiction, wait, 
you want to go to the ball game with me Friday night? I don't know. I don't know. You know why? It's very difficult to plan ahead when you're addicted. And number four, the perception of self-efficacy. In other words, being satisfied with your own abilities, knowing that you are capable. A lot of addicted people think that they are not capable. A lot of addicts say something like this, I know I am broken, and you can't fix me. You're right. I can't fix you. But you can take control of your life. Personal problems that contribute to addiction. There's a lot of them. First of all, a poor attitude toward rules. If you despise rules and you're not a rule follower, you're a good candidate for an addiction later in life. Poor family relations are prerequisites for a lot of addictions. And we're going to talk about some of those addictions later. A lack of honesty. If you just have a a problem telling the truth or standing for what's right, you are a prime candidate for someone with an addiction. And high aggressiveness is a a predictor of addiction. And low self-confidence. If you were raised in a family where you could never do anything right and you always got in trouble and someone was always yelling at you, then you are a prime candidate for an addiction problem. Notice that that research comes out of Russia, as well as the next uh, two or three slides we're going to look at. Russians are also dealing with addictions. And they have the reputation of being addicted to vodka and other things like that, but they're really no worse than any other nation, but they have that uh, persona of being uh, addicted. Let's talk about uh, how to combat an addiction. The best ways are, number one, to participate in a religion-based program of rehabilitation. A religion-based. If you don't stick with a religion-based, there's going to be an approach to try to reprogram your mind without God. Now, I've noticed, and research will bear it out, a minimum stay of 90 days is necessary. If the addiction is so difficult, if it's a, a, an aggressive addiction, a 90 day. Now we have in the Brotherhood, we have some good programs for alcohol and drugs. Some of them are very expensive and have to have a, a, a sponsoring congregation to support them. Some are programs where you can work your way through, you, you earn a living, they'll find you a job and you go out, it may be uh, a menial labor, it might be something you don't think is very impressive, but you'll be able to stay there because you'll provide your own care. Uh, the second thing, other than participating in a religion-based uh, program or, of re- rehabilitation, is get involved with family, faithfulness, and honesty. A lot of people who are struggling with addiction withdraw and isolate themselves away from the family. They don't like to be around the family because the family reminds them of how well they're doing. If they have a brother or sister who's doing really well, being around that brother or sister might make them think, what a loser I am. And so one of the ways to combat addiction is to get involved with family. And by the way, rebuild a positive identity with your family. Did you know, and this is a different lesson, but did you know that 85% of the time 
If a couple gets married under age 20, 85% of the time that marriage will end in divorce if both families do not support the marriage. 85% of the time. Does that tell you how important it is to rebuild a positive identity with your family? 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12 is a good passage when you're dealing with addictions. Paul wrote, all things are lawful for me, but all things uh, are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Now notice that last part. I will not be brought under the power of any. If you're struggling with an addiction, realize that you have to take control of your life back. And like Paul, you must refuse to allow to be brought under the power of any other than the Lord Jesus Christ and God Almighty. You know what addiction does? Addiction replaces God in our lives. All of us are born with a God-shaped hole in our lives, and if it's not filled with God, we often find a place in our lives for addictions and things that lead to addictions. Addictions lead us to have attachments that substitute for God. Addicts use false attachments for the empty place in which God belongs, Purge, uh, purge your life of sin and plunge into loving relationship with God. And an effective rehabilitation involves six things. First of all, there's an education component. Lectures and talks and listening to people. And second, individual work. I suggest journaling and diaries of your feelings and self-analysis. And too many people stop there. But number three, physical activities. You don't feel like it. You won't want to. If you're addicted, you'd rather do anything than to go exercise, unless you're addicted to exercise. I knew one person who uh, I was trying to help, and she was uh, anorexic. She was so anorexic that she had not had a menstrual cycle in six months because she was so ultra-thin. But she insisted on running six miles every day. She exercised as an addiction. Uh, counseling. Talk therapy. Now, talk therapy alone is probably not going to be enough. But most important is the spiritual relationship with God. And then finally, talking with graduates of rehabilitation. Talk with people who have succeeded. Talk with people who have come out of the abyss and no longer are addicted for life. We're always going to be addicts, but we can be recovering addicts. Now, let's get into that part about families. What if you have someone in your family that is an addict? What do you do? I want to start out by reading Proverbs 11 and verse 7. The merciful man does good for his own soul. But here's where the family comes in. But he who is cruel troubles his own flesh. That's not just your own body, but the members of your family, your own flesh. I want you to know if you have a problem, if you have an addiction, it doesn't just affect you. It affects your parents, your grandparents, your siblings, your cousins, extended family. Who's affected? The kin of addicts experience pain and anxiety. 
How many of us have someone in our family who's an addict? And we go to bed at night never knowing when we're going to get a phone call in the middle of the night and where they may be and what they might be doing. Several people tell me often, I don't know if my son is alive or dead tonight. I don't know what state he's in. I don't know where he is. He could be sleeping under a bridge someone, somewhere. I don't know. But they, that causes extreme pain and anxiety in the family. And also, we grieve for the person that we're losing. We can see someone who is literally dying every day before our eyes, and there's nothing that we can do about it. I suggest that family members join a support group, something like Al-Anon. If you are uh, someone who is suffering, uh, you have a family member who is suffering with alcohol. Uh, most addicts affect six family members. Now think about it. For every one addict counts six people in their family. And they affect them and bring pain and anxiety in the lives of those family members. So it's, when you decide to suck something up your nose that's going to send you on a little trip, realize that six other people are going on that trip with you. That is affecting their lives. And by the way, addictions may spread over generations. Genetic, inherited, and a culture of addiction. We live in a culture of addiction. And if you have a family member that is an addict, then it's very possible that you too could fall into addiction very, very easy. Families sometimes try to hide our shame and our stigma. And we'll talk about that in just a few moments when we, when we uh, examine uh, another topic. What if, what if you just need immediate help? I mean, you're needing something today. Well, first of all, stop all cover-ups. Just admit it. People who love you, turn to them and say, I'm an addict. I've got to have help. Number two, uh, time your intervention after a blow-up. When, when someone in your family blows up and it's obvious they've got a problem, that's the time to strike. That's the time, not strike, hit. That's the time to convince them at that moment they've got to have help. Be specific and state the results. Don't just say, you're driving me crazy. You're always doing this. Be specific. This is what you're doing. Uh, get help. Call a friend. Get support. Find strength in numbers. Go to group meetings. There's a 24-hour helpline for alcoholism, 800-559-9503. Detox. There's a website, www.recoveryresource.org. And for non-12-step programs, we talked about 12-step programs in Bible class. For non-12-step programs, 800 897-8060. 897-8060. Let's talk about 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. No temptation is overtaking you except that it is common for man, but God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. You may think right now, look, I'm an addict, and there's nothing I can do about it. God thinks otherwise. 
Let's talk about codependency. Codependency originally was used with alcoholism. If your daddy was an alcoholic and, and, and you go to church without him, you say, no, he's at home sick. Yeah, he's sick. But codependency, and that, then you learn to cover up. And now codependency is applied to all situations. Some addiction struggles begin as codependency issues and then move on to addictions. You know, daddy was an addict. That makes me an addict. Not necessarily. That's not proof that you're going to be an addict. Let's, let's, let's think about this. Did your daddy smoke? Did your mama smoke? Did your grandparents smoke? Does that guarantee that you're going to smoke? No. It doesn't, it doesn't guarantee that at all. But knowing that close family members are praying for you means a lot to a person with addiction. It doesn't stop them from using, but it helps them to understand. And reconnecting with your faith gives you integrity because you begin to mean what you say again. Now, let's move on now uh, in our closing remarks to some behavior or process addictions. These are different from the chemical addictions we've been talking about. And I'm just going to list a few of them here. Uh, sex addiction. addiction. Uh, internet addiction. Addiction to social media. Do you live on Facebook? Is Facebook something you can't go to sleep at night because you're doing, then you know what, you may have a problem. A gambling addiction, a spending addiction, a ex exercise addiction, a work addiction. That's the addiction that is accepted socially, by the way. Every employer wants to hire a work addict. Somebody who is just so dedicated to work that they have to be working. Well, that's the kind of employee you want to hire. They'll be there when you get there. They'll still be there when you leave. They're workaholics, but their family's suffering. And then food addictions. I want to talk about repetitive impulses and compulsive activity provide dopamine. There are four chemicals in our brain that are shot into our brain for happy feelings. And a lot of medications help us feel happy. The first one I want to talk about, I'm not even going to touch endorphins, but I'm going to touch dopamine. Dopamine is like dumping sugar into our brain. Uh, we, we, we kind of like sugar. Uh, and so the more sugar, you know, I, I like green beans at a certain restaurant. You know why? They fill those green beans with sugar. They make it good. And, uh, you know, I'm a diabetic, so I have to stay away from those green beans uh, with lots of sugar in them. But think about this. If, if what you do reinforces your action, it's like pouring sugar on it. The dopamine is the sugar that goes into our brain. Not literally sugar but something that makes us feel better. But then, think about this. When a negative, when something uh, negative comes back, and we may need to uh, do something else, then the negative feeling, the negative emotion, triggers something else. Let's, let's talk about salt. Serotonin. Serotonin also is a chemical in our brain, and it's a lot like salt. Uh, have you tried to eat any baby food? I'm not talking about when you're a baby. I'm talking about, have you ever tried to taste any baby food? You know, it's yucky because it doesn't have any salt in it. To make it more palatable, you put salt in it. Sometimes in our addictions, in our problems in life, we need something to make it feel better. 
We need something to make us feel more relaxed. And so when the negative emotion hits, it triggers the need in our brains for more, uh, more serotonin. And that's like pouring salt on your food. Not literally salt in your brain, but it's just an illustration of what that is like in our lives. Let's talk about acting out behaviors. Some of the out, acting out behaviors includes uh, online pornography and masturbation, eating highly palatable and sugary foods, gambling, playing video games. There's nothing wrong with playing video games until it becomes an addiction and you can't put it down. I talked with one family years ago. Mama would be in her gown when the kids would leave to go to school. She'd be playing a video game. When they got home from school, she was still in her gown, still playing the video game. This was Mama. She had a problem. She was an addict. What about internet surfing or excessive use of social media or excessive spending or excessive exercising? All of those are acting out behaviors. Now, uh, I'm going to skip that slide and go to another one. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. We're going to close with this. All this sounds like a lot of trouble, doesn't it? A lot of problems. But think about this. You may be addicted, have a bad, bad addiction. But I want you to remember the Lord is the answer. In Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now we don't have the apostles around any longer. But we still have the Lord. And the Lord can help you with this disease. Now, not long ago, a lady responded at worship service, and this is what she said to me. I want you to pray to God that he will make me stop smoking. What do you want God to do? Cripple your hands so you can't hold a cigarette? Do you want God to slap the cigarette out of your hands? No, you have to take the step to not like the cigarette. You have to take the step not to open the can. You have to take the step not to snort the cocaine. God will, he made you a free moral agent. He gave you the ability to change and to, to choose. And that will be up to you to decide if you want cured. The Lord can do that. But you have to take the first step. Now, as we conclude, we offer the Lord's invitation. Now, some are going to think, you know what, if I respond now, everyone here is going to think that I have a problem with addiction. Not at all. Maybe there's something that's going on this week in your life or something has been said by someone that's tested your life for the power of the gospel and you need to be baptized for the remission of sins, then please do so today. Perhaps you've strayed away from where you need to be with the Lord, your walk with the Lord, and you need to come back. Then the Lord's invitation is being extended as together we stand and sing.